Well, hi everyone. Welcome to the analytics category. I'm super excited to be talking with Tracy. She's the CEO of Astarte Medical. Tracy, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having us, Kyle. Uh, to give context again, why we're having this interview. So now we spent a lot of time looking at well over hundreds of different uh, companies that were considered a part of the analytics category. It breaks apart in a lot of different ways, but one of the companies that really stood out to us was Astarte Medical, and a lot of different reasons why. Uh, one, they have a unique focus. They're taking a very specific problem in patient care, and uh, they're doing it in a way that is very unique. It's not about just the data that they pull, the database that they're creating, but also the workflow that they're providing providers themselves. So it's it's really impressive. Uh, uh, I'm And I'm super excited to be talking about this. So Tracy, before we start, you provided us with a really great video that at least gives the audience kind of a visual baseline of who is Astarte Medical. So we're going to jump to that real quick. And then we'll get into questions about the cool factors of, of Astarte Medical. Sound good? Sounds great. Thanks to advancements in modern medicine, survival rates for preterm infants continue to improve. Unfortunately, many preterm infants do not grow after birth for many days, and their subsequent growth does not keep up with normal fetal growth rates. Optimal nutrition early in life can positively impact not only physical growth, but also neurological development. Attention is now turning to the quality of survival through optimal nutrition management. Learning how to grow preterm infants has been riddled with complexities and questions for clinical professionals. Providing the preterm infant with optimal nutrition to achieve the same growth and development of the healthy, growing fetus is the next imperative in neonatal critical care, and we need to address it now. Successful progression from parenteral to enteral to oral feeding is key to achieving appropriate growth and development, but calculating proper nutrition with the right amounts of energy and macro and micronutrients is complex and time-consuming. Even though providers know nutrition is important, neonatologists tend to be intensivists focused on acute critical care problems and don't always devote sufficient attention to nutrition as a critical care requirement. With so many different nutrition and feeding protocols, a growing catalog of available dietary options, and lack of standardization, it's difficult to make a truly informed decision. Nutrition expertise is housed in consensus-based protocols and in the experience of neonatal nutrition experts. But experts aren't always accessible when nutrition and feeding don't go as expected, and a personalized approach is needed. Unlike the rest of neonatology, current tools do not provide precise feedback to support nuanced clinical decisions about nutrition and feeding. Let us help you think about your daily nutrition goals as intensively as you think about ventilator settings, medication changes, and central line placement. Nutrition is a real-time clinical decision support tool to monitor and analyze feeding and nutrition delivery. It is designed to extract feeding and nutritional data directly from your hospital's electronic health record. Nutrition allows clinical teams to track improvements in feeding milestones and test quality improvement outcomes over time and quantify the correlated patient outcomes for an individual baby or the entire NICU. Nutrition can help you navigate the details and make the best decisions as experts in neonatal nutrition. Nutrition specifically supports a dietitian's work, making nutrition management more efficient and more easily understood by visual numeric and graphic presentations. Additionally, a hospital's own enteral feeding protocol can be digitally implemented to promote compliance 
and overcome the challenges of time-consuming manual processes of entering details of feeding, nutrient supply, and specific outcomes. Together, we can make nutrition management smarter, personalized, and data-driven because each baby is unique and deserves the best possible start for their future. Let us support you in your work to grow healthy babies and help them go home as soon and as safely as possible. Uh, Tracy, uh, awesome video. Um, before I even jump into some questions that, uh, that I had, I'm, I'm just curious, uh, is there a backstory about why you started this company? Absolutely. And in fact, um, I think it's one of the things that makes us relatively unique in this space. So um, my co-founder and I are actually former venture capitalists um, and sort of as part of our interest in women and infant health had met our scientific co-founder who's a newborn ICU nurse, which is probably one of the toughest jobs out there in clinical care and is also uh, a PhD researcher at Harvard um, running work in the microbiome lab. So she's just a unique, amazing individual, Kate Gregory. And it was really her vision of how much data she was collecting and documenting at the bedside as a nurse and how much data she was generating in her research around nutrition and feeding and gut health, where she came to us and said these two huge elements of data need to come together to create better insights. Uh, because there are so many things known in, in our patient population, which is preterm infants, right? These very, very tiny people. Um, so much is done for the heart and the lungs, but the gut, which is really the gateway to the brain and to development, we, we're really doing it very based on symptoms at the bedside and very kind of high practice variability in how to feed, when to feed, what to feed. And she felt that data, large data and insights could create significant improvements in care and really help these babies get the best start in life. Really interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting for healthcare itself because a lot of the backstory behind many companies is very personal. And especially in, in this case, uh, sometimes it's, it's a very important problem that it can be a matter of life or death. And um, I think that really can be a driver for uh, companies like yourself about uh, you know the background of your existence and it's 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 awesome uh jumping in now to the product itself uh and at the start the baseline that we saw from the video is being able to have a a feeding audit and monitoring solution especially for prenatal care i'm, I'm just curious how did you build out this functionality like where did this information come from to be able to know what is the right workflow to take care of infants at this stage yeah, and it's, it's an interesting field because I actually think as data grows and as tools like ours are deployed, we're going to see a tremendous amount of um, focus on this. So to give you a, a lay land, every hospital, um, and we focus on what are called level three and level four NICUs. So they take care of the very tiniest babies out there. These weigh hundreds of grams, they're 23 weeks gestation. They're very, very tiny. Um, and a huge amount of thought goes into when to initiate feed and when to feed um, and advance more quickly. But each hospital has what they call a feeding guideline or a feeding protocol. And it literally is site specific, which is unfortunate in many ways, and I'll come back to why. But they sit around the table in committee and they develop these feeding protocols and they push them out usually in a PDF or a 
index card and folks carry them around and say, okay, this baby is this weight, this age or certain parameters, I should feed this amount. And um, to give you a sense, these kids are fed usually every two or three hours, very, very small amounts. So two cc's of breast milk or donor milk or formula. And then it's advanced as the baby grows and can tolerate more and more nutrition because the goal is to really get kids off of parenteral or IV nutrition and start to use their gut. Um, and so how to do this, each hospital has sort of ordained its own feeding protocol. And even within a health system, we're finding that different sites have different protocols. And part of that is because the literature is really lacking in what is the best way to feed these kids. And that's where data and real world data and large data sets can really start to inform clinical care. And that's really our vision with Nutrition. We'll use your protocol, but then we're gonna feed that data back to you to help you advance your thinking and also to benchmark your, your hospital or even your system against others to start to drive sort of a national best standard or best practice. Wow. It's, it's interesting to see how the, the process, you know, especially for the, the feeding process, it starts, it's a very, it used to, it's what seems like a very manual process and very hospital or provider specific and what is the right method of care. And I think it's really important that that aspect of how you compare this, these different protocols against a variety of different hospitals and help guide a lot of, a lot of providers. Very interesting. Now you have uh, really big ambitions of building out a handful of data sets that are going to support, you know, provider workflows. And I'm curious if you could talk about those and 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 why they're important. Absolutely. And I think you know, as I said, we're starting really in what we consider standardization of care, reducing practice variability, looking at compliance to protocol, and then driving um, the informing of new protocols based on that data. But not only does it matter what you feed uh, a little baby or even a, an adult at this stage, right, is the variability among patients, right? So our babies are very heterogeneic. They, they are born at different parts of their gestation. Um, they're different days of life old. Some, you know, there are gender differences, et cetera. And so when you think about that from a nutrition perspective, just like men and women have different metabolisms, babies are very similar, right? Very high energy needs, and how do you know exactly what to do? So in addition to the clinical data that we're collecting through Nutrition, we're pairing that with um, gut microbiome data. And really we've brought in from three, three top academic medical centers, a very integrated data set where it has longitudinal clinical data. So what the baby was fed, antibiotics, risk factors for mom, and we've correlated that to how their guts developed. And I think that's really the frontier for us is bringing together deep, rich, longitudinal data sets on what has been successful and helping to apply that to improve clinical care. Um, and so that is in our, um, our next frontier that we'll be taking on beyond Nutrition. Um, and all of that really leverages data that's already collected as part of routine care. So there's no change to the workflow whatsoever. Really interesting. I mean, that is really when you think about what is the future of personalized care. I mean, you guys are taking it to a whole different level. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of want to go back a little bit. And, um, you know, you, you highlighted the process uh, before about what is prior to working with you guys. What are that manual? It seems like, especially feeding is very, very manual process, individual specific. You know, what are, what are, 
the most common problems that you're seeing with that that traditional process and you know having your platform in play you know what what's changed How, have you been able to solve those common problems that a lot of these providers are facing we think so and i think you know to your point on the manual process as i mentioned so all the way from you know neonatologist ordering nutrition you know the content the rates all of these sort of decisions that need to be made that trickles down all the way to the nurses doing each individual feed right preparing usually they're fed via a syringe via a tube to the gut because our babies can't suck swallow breathe so it's a highly highly intensive process so beyond vital signs it is the most frequent thing that happens to our babies um, once they're stable. And so we, um, in the history, right, um, nurses prepare it, they deliver the feed, they document the feed, but EMRs actually have not been built to capture feeding. It's usually not something that's um, as read readily um, understood from a workflow perspective. And so there was a huge amount of burden that was created with the advent of medical records. Um, it's great for us as a data company, but, but the workflow, especially to the nursing staff, has been incredibly burdensome. And so um, one of the key features of our uh, platform is that we are EMR integrated and we liberate all that data. We organize it in a way that matches the workflow, both for the nurse in delivering the care, but also for the uh, neonatologists on rounds and looking at what was ordered, what was delivered, how did my baby grow? And so we've pulled all of those kind of disparate pieces that were broken up as part of the implementation of electronic medical records. And we then present that in a much more workflow friendly, bringing together and overlaying their protocol. So what does your protocol say you should do? There's still entirely clinical decision support. So we have not taken any of the training away from our docs, but given them data faster in a more consistent way and in a way that I think helps them spend more time thinking about the decisions instead of grabbing all the data, doing patient record review and all of that sort of tedious nature. We help them sort of practice top of license. And I think that's where our clinicians get really excited that nutrition can now be a form of medicine if we can practice it in the best informed way. And that's really how we built the system. Interesting. I mean, and, and this is one of the reasons why we thought you were one of the best companies within the analytics category. It's not just, you know, there is one aspect of just being able to pull data, but being able to integrate it into a workflow and provide guidance um, to, to a lot of these providers, I think is, is in, in helping a lot of processes, especially in, in your case, prenatal care. And that's, it's, it's really exciting. And I, I kind of want to take that point specifically on the workflow. Now, one of the things that we're seeing for a lot of analytics tools is, you know, how far can we go with supporting providers and telling them what they should or shouldn't do? And, and what is your thoughts on, are, are, is your goal really just to give them all the tools and data, quality data necessary to make the right decisions? And I think you kind of highlighted it. You're not trying to change the protocol. Uh, and then how far do you go on the other side of the spectrum with, you know, whether are you providing recommendations? Are you telling them or suggesting them what they should do? Or are you taking that workflow over entirely and saying, don't do that protocol, do this? And, and I'll, I'll mm -hmm. add more questions on top of that. I, I apologize. Yeah. And, and do, what do providers feel? Are they comfortable with that when, if, if you're providing recommendations or guidance? And um, is, that, is that really helpful for them? Yeah, so um, maybe two parts of the question. So we are starting with standardization because I think it is. There's so much 
calculations, um, chart review. There's so much, quite frankly, tedious efforts as it relates to preparing um, for rounds and preparing to feed these kids. And it's a really, really critical patient population. So preemies are in the NICU for you know, two and a half months. They're, they're you know, really, really intensively cared for. And so to spend your time gathering data seems like a low hanging fruit um, to use that term, right? So we're starting in standardization because I think it immediately adds value to the workflow, to the outcomes. There've been studies shown that you can improve um, outcomes as such as reducing length of stay, getting kids off parenteral or IV nutrition, reducing central line associated bloodstream infections just by giving them better data. So for us, that's where we start. But I think you're exactly right. We're going to build the, then a very well-validated data set from which we can then glean. If you are a 26-week-old um, you know, black baby girl, how is it best to feed you if mother's milk is not available? What is that pathway? Um, but you need big data to do it. And this clinical trials today have not done that. So we want to do an evidence-based data set before we make those recommendations. Um, as you can appreciate in this patient population, data rules the day. Strong studies, big data sets, highly powered. Um, people don't take chances with these babies who are on the edge of viability. So we will work our way into making those recommendations. They will be entirely evidence-based um, and certainly would be under you know, scrutiny of studies and likely if we go to making recommendations through FDA so that we can feel confident in the recommendations we're making. Today, we're simply providing a rules engine to what's needed to just provide better information. So we're starting a little short of that today. Interesting. No, it definitely, um, it's exciting. I mean, especially with the ambitions and the data set that you're building, but starting with the process where it, it what was manual and data was siloed and there was no simple way to even view this information. I mean, it's, it's incredible what you are already doing and what you can do in the future. Um, and, and with that, I, I, I'm curious because it's, it seems like for sometimes some healthcare software solutions have a difficult time implementing their, their tools into with the providers. And I'm curious, what does that implementation process look like to you at a provider? Are they uh, have you used a separate platform and and a different tool? Or is this earlier you mentioned that you can easily integrate in with the EMRs, and so it seems like it's not a difficulty for you. But I'm, I'm just curious, what does that implementation process look like? Yeah, I hope I didn't say easily implement because I'm not sure anyone can easily implement with an EMR. So, um, but um, in all seriousness, we went through the process of going through Epic's App Orchard. Um, and so we are listed in the app orchard. So we have worked extremely closely with Epic. We're about to get our Cerner certification as well, which is about 80% of our market. Um, so we took on sort of that big validation need with the actual EMR providers themselves as a step, because I think it's important for us when we go to an IT team within a hospital who's protecting their EMR, um, to let them know that we've been vetted and to let them know that we meet all the requirements that, that will be synergistic. And the fact that we fit right into that workflow and you don't have to log out and go into another application goes to that entire workflow. No way in a critical care setting could we require someone to go into another application. It would be impractical. So we did that as part of our early product requirements. So we do get I would say greater support from IT groups within a hospital, um, knowing that they've, we've been vetted by their 
vendor. Um, it still is about resource competition, right? So especially in, in COVID, right? Uh, everything was shelved that wasn't COVID. Um, so you do still have resource allocations. And I do think IT groups are one of the least well-staffed within the hospital systems. Um, and getting you know, the ability to turn things quickly is just difficult because of all the competing pressures. Um, we are seeing that start to ease up a bit. I think everybody having gone through the, the COVID, you know, telehealth, you know, things had to start to move quickly. Um, so hopefully I think we'll see a faster pace going forward, but we still have to get all of our requirements, all of our security and all the standard things. But I do think that um, integration piece, we get uh, a bump from having spent time with the top vendors and going through their um, you know, processes and making sure that we fit well with that, um, with that system. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you make it seem easy. <laughs> I, I could imagine. <laughs> Don't tell my CTO I said that. He'll kill me. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's, it's an interesting space that you're in, especially in generally being an analytics category. Patient care is a very sensitive area. And for a lot of hospitals, there's always this concern about, um, it feels like from provider standpoint, sometimes there's a concern about liability. You know, what happens if uh, you're following a software solution that provides the wrong recommendation or, you know, it doesn't, you know, tell you what you should be doing in the, uh, the right way or you may have been confusion or something and that results in, you know, uh, misdiagnosis death even, et cetera. Mm -hmm. What is, are you, what, I mean, how do you approach that? Do you, do you feel that from the customers that you work with? And, you know, how do you approach that issue? And is that even an issue at all for you? Um, so I think it's always an issue. You have to be cognizant of it for sure when you're providing information um, to a clinical team, and especially in our case, in a critical care setting, right? To your point, these are life and death um, patients who, who really can be quite critical, uh, you know, very quickly. Um, the difference with, I think, Nutrition today is that we're, again, using the own rules and recommending according to a hospital's rules, but we are still allowing for, if you will, modifications, right? So if a provider gets to the bedside and decides he or she does not want to feed this baby today because its belly's distended or whatever, we record it and we mark it as, you know, here we capture why, which is really important, I think, to hospitals to understand if variability is driven by observations and learnings. And I think that feeds into over time understanding that decision making and that variability better. But we stop short of giving a diagnosis, giving a recommendation today, because quite frankly, the data isn't there in an organized way to make that recommendation with high confidence. So I think we'll get there, but today there would be significant, we would not be comfortable um, giving recommendations ad hoc. We would want it to be based on something that's been um, consensus driven from our clients um, so that we can just provide that information to their uh, experts. Interesting. Yeah, it, it definitely, um, especially as your ambitions of building out an incredible data set, I think that'll be really, really helpful. And, and, and navigating that space too. Um, and, you know, patient cares analytics, because I, I'm curious, what is that, what does your business model look like? Is, is it contingent on, you know, the success of care? Is this a traditional SaaS model? Is it per patient? You know, I, 
it's you know, we've seen a lot of the telemedicine and health management tools and you know how that relates to payers but uh, patient care analytics seems it's very unique so i'm just curious what mm -hmm. what is that model well starting out we are a SaaS company um and we actually tier our products so i think in the video you saw we have different layers of analytics um, and whether or not you integrate your protocol or not so you can imagine sort of a grid by tier um, we tier our pricing as well to hospital size so that we can meet um, some of the smaller units and their resource requirements. Um, so we are SaaS. We've, we've looked at at risk where if we reduce length of stay or improve certain outcomes, um, would, would hospital partners be interested in that? I don't think there's enough knowledge out there yet on how to structure those and measure those. And certainly at top centers that are always doing quality improvement, some of some of those measurements can get difficult. So I think we're open to risk-based um, programs in the future. We don't see an appetite in our customers for them today. Um, that having been said, um, a lot of our babies are under DRGs or other, it's, it's not always as similar as some of the other things where if you directly reduce cost, you know, there's a there's an alignment with the with the health system. So we'll get there. I think um, certainly I I do think this is a very expensive patient population, usually one of the top three um, from an inpatient perspective. And so there will be focus on how to optimize care. Um, we're just we're a little bit early. Wow, I didn't know that. One of the most expensive inpatient care, at top least top three. Yes. Wow. Well, it's um. um uh, interesting, uh, uh, and I'm I'm curious. Um, you you alluded to this earlier, and, and we talked about it a little bit before the call. But uh, we all know healthcare software is notorious for having really long sales cycles. It's difficult to work with providers. Uh, it seems like you have a clear value add, and I, I couldn't imagine how providers, you know, wouldn't want to sign up directly tomorrow. But uh, do you feel as though there's a long sales cycle on your side? And if so, you know, do you how do you manage or navigate that process? Yeah, I mean, we've always in all of our kind of estimates and projections, 12 to 18 months, I think is the canned um, expectation. Um, surprisingly, post COVID, and this is certainly just in the last 60 or 90 days, we've seen a re an interest. So we formally launched the product in this summer. Um, we've seen an interest and actually are getting to proposals in 45 to 60 days. So I'm actually a little bit hopeful that we can shorten that cycle um, now that folks are feeling the need for data and better information and having it available to everyone at all times, especially as you see resource constraints in a kind of the post-COVID world with budget impact. Um, that having been said, I don't know what the IT side of this looks like. So I do think part of that sales cycle has to actually do with all the approvals. Um, and that's still a little bit of a black box for us right now. So I think we could get lower, shorter sales cycle. Um, certainly for us, um, our babies are still being born and need to be cared for. It's not an elective kind of situation. Um, so I do think we're seeing a resurgence in interest of bringing in tools to deliver better care. Um, but we're, it's a half-baked story right now. So I'm hoping we get to like three to six months if I got to choose. Wow. Well, I I, you know, it seems as though for, for some companies, it, it has long sales cycles and, you know, for, for others, if it, it, if it's obvious that clear value add, it's, it's much shorter. And I think for you, it's going to be much shorter, but, um, 
you you talked a little bit about it already a few times and in, in just in your past comments, but I, I'm just curious, how has the pandemic affected your company? Well, obviously, I think in March, March through probably June or July, it was a complete freeze from it just out of respect for the frontline workers to not call on hospitals. So um, we did sort of, again, we hadn't officially launched. So we sort of slow rolled some of our announcements and some of our products and things, you know, um, promotional activities during that period of time in respect of the demands on folks' times. Um, we implemented a hiring freeze here at the company. So we're a venture-backed company and just wanted to make sure cash runway was lasting. Um, but by and large, it actually allowed us to take a bit of a pause and look at the product and, and really make some, I think, informed features decision uh, making. So um, all in all, it's been less impactful than I think it has been for other groups. But again, our patient population is, is consistent and, and critical. And so, um, you know, it's, it's been less of an impact than I think if we've been in an adult population or in an elective field. Um, so, you know, but who knows, who knows, again, I think there's a huge backlog in the IT groups and yeah. really wondering how all that gets cleared up as, as things start to reopen and how budgets ultimately get affected by the, you know, kind of the financial crisis that some hospitals have experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to your point, babies are still being born. You know, they are. <laughs> There's no pause. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't pause, uh, pause on, that, on, that, uh, on that issue. And so I think um, it still is a very, very uh, important topic. I think is still at the front of providers' mind. But it is. It, it's a definitely, it's, it's interesting, uh, the healthcare industry itself uh, going through a very turbulent period that has a lot of silver linings in some sense, and then also mm -hmm. a lot of reflection about what is the right way to manage. And um, you know, you're seeing that on all fronts. And I think net benefit, it's gonna cause a lot more net benefits than negatives. So um, I'm, I'm very positive on the outlook as well. Uh, you know, with that, I, I'm curious, what is, um, and I, I I apologize, I always say I'm curious is my preface to the next question. But uh, uh, I, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, you know, what do you think is the future of, you know, we, generally you're a part of the patient analytics category, but um, more, you can be more specific for, you know, preterm uh, pre infant care. I mean, what, is, what do you think is the future of preterm infant care? And then what do you think, what do you see that other people don't? Yeah, and I, um, I think a lot of people in our field see what we see. The problem is I don't think they've ever been offered tools to do it. It's a, it, in many people's mind, it's a small market, um, no pun intended, right? But 380,000 babies are born preterm, you know, only 10% of the population. Um, so I think what we've done well is focus on a, on a market that's very addressable, high need, um, but I think for us as a company, when I step back, I think the idea of starting and staying healthy. So um, using things like nutrition as a very simple way, if you will, to create long-term health, right? Early in life, your immune system gets set, growth, neurodevelopment all takes place. And all that's driven by what you eat, um, how you're cared for, et cetera. So if we can control those things, kids get a much better start in life. So for us, the way to do that is to inform it with high quality data and large amounts of it. And I think that's 
maybe the fusion of those things is what we saw. There were a lot of groups doing, um, I'll call it pure analytics. What are the pathways by which patients go? And in, in our other side of our world, there were a lot of people looking at, you know, microbiome and probiotics and what to do. And we've kind of come at it from fusing those two data and saying, when you do this, what happens here and how do you bring those two together? And NIH has actually put out a precision nutrition roadmap for the next 10 years that I think is phenomenal, really giving better data of, it's not just calories, it's not just keto, it's not just gluten-free, it's, you have to be more sophisticated, right? And so the way to do that is large data sets. And that's what I think we see. I don't think we're necessarily alone, but certainly in our patient population in early life, um, we've been at the forefront of this. And I think this is keeping kids healthy, giving them the best start at life, and informing decisions with high quality data is the future of health and hopefully will prevent chronic conditions. Um, all of our kids having food allergies, just the things that are sort of plaguing kids today, um, using data and, and high quality information to do, um, to kind of get ahead of bad health um, and prevent it. That's kind of our vision. Wow, words of wisdom. I'm excited about your vision. I think it's, uh, it's incredible and it's important. To, starting at the very, very earliest stages. Um, um, wow, this was fantastic, Tracy. Thank you. I, I really, yeah. this is a phenomenal interview. I, I'm curious, before I close out, did you have any other things that you want to announce to the audience or requests or anything that you want to recap? Well, just a little bit. We did launch our product, as I said, so you saw the video. So, um, you know, obviously we're open for business. Um, we are, as I mentioned, venture backed. We'll be kicking off our fundraising later this year for our financing next year and really hope folks who are interested in kind of doing well by making a difference, um, you know, will we'll contact us um, both on the hospital and provider side as well as um, investors and stakeholders. So thank you for awesome. the time. Yeah, absolutely. And again, to recap on my side again, why we ended this interview was because, you know, Astarte Medical was one of the best companies that we saw in the, in the analytics category as a whole. And, and you got to see in detail why what their focus is on, especially in prenatal care, is, is really important. And how they've been able to take this process, which is used to be very manual or, you know, very individual to the provider, standardize it, build out a workflow. It's not just an analytics tool. It's, we're actually helping a lot of these providers from end-to-end -end process of managing that feeding and monitoring of, of, of infants. And it's, it's really impressive the future roadmap that you have of building out what's going to be a really, really big data set that's going to make true personalized care. Um, and so really impressive, really, really thank impressive, you. Tracy. And, and, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for giving us the opportunity. We appreciate it. Of course.